your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, again today we are asking for understanding into the relationship you're calling us into with you, with ourselves, and with each other. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's great to see everyone, uh, as always, today. Those of you who are here, are, who are in person and who have braved the cold. Those who are online, although I can't see them. I don't know, Frank, maybe if you can get that. I'm looking at myself and a giant picture, and that is not comforting to, to be talking to myself. Anyway, we know that you're there on Zoom. Good to see everyone. For those of you who have been here this last uh, month, you know that we are... Uh, in our midst of our fall series, although it feels like winter, fall series, Bad Beliefs. And so after the past four weeks, over the past four weeks, we've been looking at those bad beliefs that actually impact our ability to have a healthy relationship with God and with each other because they affect our view of God and each other. And so we've covered these bad beliefs over the last four weeks, and you can go to avenhope.org where you can see all of the beliefs all of the bad beliefs, and many other series. So bad belief number one was that a person's worth and value are based on their performance. The second bad belief we wrestled with is the belief that God is in control of everything. Uh, the third bad belief that we wrestled with last week is the belief that being blessed by God is primarily manifested as financial stability, absence of adversity, sustained comfort, and lots of fun. And today's bad belief is the belief that Christians must have all of the answers to everything. All right, so we're wrestling with these. We've had a good time over the last uh, uh, four weeks, and we hope you, if you, you're new, you'll go back and catch up on those messages. Now today, I'm being a little bit hyperbolic when we talk about this bad belief of knowing everything about everything or, or, or uh, portraying that or that being a belief. I'm not sure anybody actually believes that, but... We portray it that way as, as Christians, that we have all of the answers to everything, or we feel like we must have all of the answers. And I would say that of all of the beliefs that we've wrestled with over these, this month, this one may be a most predominant for uh, those of us who come from the Adventist tradition, because Adventists love facts. I mean, religious people like facts. Christians love, love facts, but Adventists really love their info, their facts. And so this feels like something very personal for, for us, this idea that we have to have the answer to every question that exists in the, uh, uh, in the universe. And again, this is not just an Adventist thing. In fact, I was listening to a podcast uh, yesterday on the uh, heresy of Apollinaris of Laodicea. Fun podcast, let me tell you. Uh, I'll, tell, I'll, I'll give you the, if you want the link later. But Apollinaris, he argued uh, about... Uh, Jesus' nature, and he said that Jesus had a, a divine mind and not a rational mind, that Jesus had, his body was human, and, and, and his, his soul was human, but his mind was, was uh, uh, divine, and, and he didn't have the rational human mind. Uh, this was determined to be, by the, the, in, in the fourth or fifth century, Christians from all over the world gathered together at the Council of Constantinople and determined that this was a heresy, okay? Now, as I'm listening to this, I'm laughing to myself 
because, uh, quite frankly, what foolishness to even try to articulate this idea. Like, was, you know, when Jesus became human, was his mind like God's mind or is a human mind? Like, I know what he was getting at, right? He was, he was concerned about how uh, humans would interpret Jesus if his mind was, you know, only fully God or fully human. But the reality is, who knows? I mean, how can you discern that? The idea that Christian people from all over the world gathered together to discern this thing that's quite frankly unknowable. The Bible doesn't explain how Jesus' mind worked together. And so, again, it's, it's part of this bad belief that we have to have the answer to everything, that we must know everything. And, it, of course, it's not just relegated to religious things. Christians like to have uh, ideas or feel like maybe we have to have a belief or a stance on everything, um, I mean, from, from, from the full spectrum. I've had people ask questions from, you know, the big questions like, where exactly is heaven in the universe? Great question. No idea. Bible doesn't say anything about that. To what color is the best? Silly question, right? Like, it's like, what, what do Christians believe is the best color? I mean, that's a wide spectrum, but I mean, really? Is there an answer to that? And yet, again, because we have this bad, ingrained belief that we have to have all the answers to everything, sometimes we try to answer these things when we should say something like, I don't know, or we don't know. Isn't that, that's, a, that's a very relieving response to a question. We have no idea. Where is heaven in the universe? You know, is it between this star and this? No idea. We don't know the, that information. There are just things we don't uh, know. And so now, I, I, I want to note that I am not arguing for anti-intellectualism here, right? We should strive to know things. Knowing things are good. You should, we should expand our minds, we should educate ourselves, we should plan on growing, but we should also recognize the limitations to the, our capacity to know. I mean, think about this. How much knowledge is there in the universe? We've wrestled with this exercise before. I mean, if you think about all of the knowledge that exists about the universe and in the, in the universe, how, how much knowledge is there? And then how much of that knowledge of the universe or universal knowledge or whatever, how much of that do you grasp or know yourself? 10%? Anybody here? 10, got 10% of universal knowledge under your belt? 5%? 1%? 0.0001%? Further, take all of the humans who have ever lived on this planet Earth and, and combine all their knowledge. How much do you think they grasp the knowledge that there is to know in the universe? It's probably an incredibly small percentage. And so the point being is there is a place for humility. And if we have, the, this is why the, the, the belief that we have to know everything is a bad belief because it's just not going to happen. There are limitations to what we can know. By the way, this is evidenced very specifically in the Bible, somewhat ironically. Found in the book of Daniel, we have a very overt limitation. This is Daniel, I say over, over, uh, ironically because uh, Adventists in particular have, I know we're not all Adventists here, and I know this may be your first time in Adventist community, but Adventists love the books of Daniel and Revelation. And so in Daniel, one of Adventism's most favorite books, we have this passage. It says this. Just hang with me. This is Daniel chapter 8, verse 26. It says, 
the vision of the evenings and the mornings, you can read about this on your own. I won't go into the details here. The vision of the evening and, and the mornings that has been given to you is true. This is God speaking to Daniel. But seal up the vision, for it concerns the distant future. And Daniel says, I, Daniel, was worn out. I lay exhausted for several, several days, and then I got up and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by this vision. It was beyond understanding. Then Daniel 12, just a few verse, chapters later, says, again, God is talking to Daniel, but you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. And so here in Daniel 8 and 12, you have a very clear uh, a statement where God is saying, there's some knowledge that you're not ready to know yet, and we're going to seal it up. And, and there will be a time when this knowledge is to be revealed, but right there in the Bible, some info that there are things that in Daniel's time, they just didn't know yet. In fact, God was like, you're not going to know this yet. We're going to seal it up. All right. Now, we don't have time to explain what Daniel was talking about there or what God was talking about to to Daniel, but that has been revealed to us through the Bible now. We know what was sealed up in Daniel, but what now do we not have the capacity to know? What is sealed up? And so again, all of this comes back to battle this belief that we have to know everything about everything and have a stance or a position on, on everything. There are some things we don't know, and so we should approach the world and our friends with a little more humility, please. Please, humility, humility. We don't have all the answers, and that's okay. Consider Solomon, by the way, considered by those who appreciate the Bible to be the wisest man who ever lived. What did Solomon say about this issue? In Ecclesiastes chapter one, he said, I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of the wisdom and the knowledge that the world has to share. So he's like, I have done my research, I have studied, I've got the facts down, I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly, the whole spectrum, but I learned that this too is all a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow, the more knowledge, the more grief. So Solomon is addressing this issue of like knowing it all and wisdom, is this really the meaning of things and how, what is the importance of this? Again, we're not promoting and not studying, not growing, not learning, but there are limitations. And so, humility is needed. Let's approach the world with humility. There are a lot of things that we don't have answers for, and that's okay. Now, our big question today is this, what is the danger? in believing that we, as Christians or followers of Jesus, must know every answer to every a question. What are the dangers of that? We could list a lot. I like to have three, so we've got three for you today. The first is this. When that is our belief, that bad belief that we have to have an answer for everything, we do strange things with the Bible. We do strange things with, with the Bible. First of all, we treat the Bible like a reference book, like a piece of reference material. We learn facts from it, amazing facts, might, one might say. Uh, we, 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 try to, we try to discern trivia from the Bible. Uh, we look at the Bible to, 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 for the, the, the supposed heroes of the Bible to see what we, we can learn from them. 
But is this really the purpose of the Bible, getting all the facts that we can about the Bible from the Bible? Uh, I would assert to you no and use Jesus' own words to support that assertion. In John chapter 5, Jesus said this. He's talking to the religious leaders of his day. And by the way, if there were people who knew the Bible backwards and forwards, it was the religious leaders. They had to, they had to memorize the Torah and the original Hebrew. There is nobody who knew the Bible, the facts of the Bible, better than the religious leaders in, in Jesus' day. Okay, And so Jesus in John 5 says this. You study the scriptures, scriptures diligently. By the way, since they were young, they started memorizing books of the Bible, not the books, of, like not the, the books of the Bible, but the, the actual book, like memorizing the entire book, all right, in the Hebrew, so they could recite the Bible, portions of the Bible. And, and as you grew older, uh, some were not as good at memorizing, and so they went off and did other things, like become fishermen or tax collectors or whatever. And the ones that were able to memorize and understand things, they became the religious leaders. And so Jesus says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think in them there's eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, and you, you refuse to come to me to have life. So Jesus is saying facts about the Bible. In fact, even memorizing the Bible if you miss the main point, it's pointless. You can have all the knowledge, you can have all the trivia down. Uh, you can treat the Bible like a reference book and know it back and forth, but if you miss the main point, you're missing the main point. The purpose of the Bible is not to be an instruction manual. It's not a reference. The purpose of the Bible is to teach us about God's work on our behalf and to teach us about ourselves and how we need something outside of ourselves. We've said many times before, there are no heroes in the Bible. Abraham, not a hero. David, not a hero. Solomon, not a hero. Quite frankly, not great guys. The only hero in the Bible is the Lord God. And so we gotta understand that when we go to the Bible, facts about the characters of the Bible, fine. If you wanna know the trivia, that's great. By the way, and, um, has any, did anyone here participate when you were younger and you were in the Adventist community in the Bible Bowl. Remember the Bible Bowl? Oh, some, I know, you got excited when I said Bible Bowl. So if you're not familiar with the Adventist community, there's this Bible Bowl, and if you were in like Pathfinders or Adventures, and man, they would just stuff you with all kinds of information. What direction does the River Jordan flow in? Is it north? Is it south? Is it east and west? And so then you get all hyped up and, and, you're, and you're nine years old and you go to the Bible Bowl and you face off against another church. Are they better at Bible trivia than you are? And you battle it out. And then there is a, you know, there's a trophy at the end and people carry you on their shoulders around as you identify which direction the Jordan River go, goes. And it is fun. And there is nothing wrong with that. I mean, sure. Learn all the trivia about the Bible that you can learn. That's fine, but if you're missing out on the main point, you're missing out on everything. Jesus is like, you study the scriptures diligently and you're missing the main thing. And so when we believe we have to know everything about everything, we treat the Bible very weirdly. By the way, this is a time also to note the difference between prescriptive and descriptive portions of the Bible. We've talked about this before. In fact, if you go back to our sermon series, uh, Top Questions You've Asked Google, we have a whole uh, teaching on what the Bible is, and we talk about this in more detail, so I'll just summarize it, but 
prescriptive and descriptive elements of the Bible. Because the Bible is not an instruction manual, it's much more like a story. I mean, made up of different kinds, different genres of literature, yes. But it's the story of God working through human history to help you and I to work on our behalf. Because of that, a lot of the Bible is descriptive, not prescriptive. Descriptive is describing what happened. Prescriptive is describing what should happen. There are overt prescriptive portions of the Bible. The Ten Commandments is a perfect example. God, with his finger, writes on a table of stone how we should interact with each other. Okay, don't steal, don't kill each other. Uh, honor God's name. These, this is, this is uh, prescriptive. It's prescribing how we should act. Most of the Bible is describing how we did act. And there's a, there's a big difference between what we should do and what we do do, uh, do do. That's why when you read stories like Judges, and by the way, buckle your seatbelts if you're going to read Judges, because it is Game of Thrones times 10. I mean, it is, Judges is brutal. You could not film uh, 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 Judges without uh, getting some kind of very explicit uh, 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 against you, you're, you're, you're like, you're beyond R-rated. You're into the X territory. There's some brutal stuff happening in Judges. Why? Is this prescriptive? Of course not. This is describing what happens when bro broken human beings try to go on their own way and do things on their own. It's descriptive. And so, again, important. And when we think we have to have all the answers to all the questions, we treat the Bible very oddly and weirdly. We treat things that are descriptive as prescriptive, and things get crazy. The Bible is not an instruction manual. That's not the point of the Bible. It's telling what has happened and how God is working to fix it. There's chaos in the Bible. The Bible, God's story of his work on behalf of humankind. Again, March 12th, we have a whole teaching on what is the Bible. You can go back to avonhope.org and check it out. Okay, secondly, what is the danger of, of, of thinking that we have to, of believing that we have to know everything about everything, we overemphasize facts. We've already talked about this a little bit, but facts, trivia, information, we overemphasize this specifically in the context of a relationship. God is inviting us into a relationship with him, with ourselves, and with each other, and we have too much uh, importance on facts and trivia and inhibits our ability to live in healthy relationship with each other. Uh, when I met my wife, who was sitting right over there, um, I was immediately intrigued. Um, I saw her and I was like, mm-hmm, yes. And, um, and there was, to be fair, some basic information I needed to discern whether, the, you know, what should happen next. So, you know, I inquired with people who might know, like name, for example. Uh, and so I found that information. So there was some basic facts that were necessary. But at some point, once you start to make a relationship with somebody, the facts are important, especially the basic ones, but there's more than just, uh, there's more than facts, right? I mean, our relationship now is based on a lot more than just knowing information about each other, right? About trivia about each other. In fact, in fact, I'm still learning things about her, and she's still learning things about me. We still don't have all the facts about each other, but we can have a vibrant and healthy relationship without even all the facts. You need some to get started, sure. Got the name down, got some other information, made sure we're in the right age 
range, it was close, because I'm a little older, but it, it all worked out, okay? Uh, but beyond that, relationship is much more, much more uh, vibrant than just a bunch of trivia and information. So we're still learning about each other. Last night, confession, Sarah learned something important about me. You ready for this confession? She did not know this. 26 years of marriage, she did not know that I am not a big fan of pecan pie. <laughs> we were having the debate. We we're, we're going to ask the question, what's your favorite pie you know, for Thanksgiving? And so I don't know how that, I've, had, I've eaten pecan pie maybe three times in my whole life. It's just a little too sweet for me. I'm sorry. Uh, she's all the sweet I need. I, I don't need it in a pecan pie. Thank you. Yes. Anyway, we're still learning things about each other 26 years in. Facts, information, helpful to know. Helpful to know. But our relationship is based far more than just trivia about each other. You get where I'm going with this? Right? And so when, we, when our relationship with God is based on trivia and facts, it's a problem. And when we think everything is, is, is rooted in how much we know information-wise, it in, impacts our ability to have a healthy relationship with God, with ourselves, and with each other. Facts are important but a relationship has far more than that. There's emotion and feeling and many other intangibles that it's really actually hard to, 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 to identify exactly what's going on when you have a relationship with someone, whether it's a friend or a family member or someone as close as a spouse. Uh, there is, a, again, a danger of putting too much uh, weight on facts and information. Some of you here are Swifties, I'm assuming. <laughs> We got a whole Swifty crowd over here. Did you crash the Ticketmaster? You're okay. All right. So I would imagine if we went over to our Swifty, you know Swifties, the Taylor Swift fans among us. Okay. Okay. So you know Taylor Swift. Some of you, maybe in this group over here, have memorized all the lyrics, uh, know all of the harmonies, all of the melodies, all of the arrangements. Probably follow her on Instagram. You know what she wore yesterday, and you might even know what she's going to wear tomorrow. Okay, you got all the information, but if by some miracle you were to come into face-to-face -face connection with her, with all of the facts and information that you had, and try to, you know, hey, my buddy, she's going to be like, hey, hey. I mean, she seems to be a fairly gracious person with fans, but I would imagine there's going to be some standoffishness because you got all the facts and she's got none of the facts because facts aren't enough to build a relationship on. And so when we overemphasize facts, it inhibits our ability to have healthy relationships with people and to actually interact with them in a way that's not very, very strange or odd. Jesus talked about this. Again, this is Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 to 23. He said, many of you will say to me on the day of the Lord, 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 didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? In other words, they got all the facts about Jesus and they actually know how to use the facts to do some good in the world. Lord, Lord, didn't we, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will say to them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now that's pretty harsh and there's more to the story than that, but the point being is facts alone are not enough and when we overemphasize facts, it inhibits our ability to, to be in healthy relationship with God, with ourselves, and with each other. So 
overemphasizing facts is a danger when we put too much emphasis on knowing everything there is to know. Now, again, there's, we need to know some things about to, to have a relationship. There, um, in, in the field of epistemology, the field of epistemology is the field of like how we know what we know. I would suggest to you, by the way, if, especially in Western culture today, if there is a field that all of us need to study a little bit more, it's the field of epistemology. How do you know what you know? We're wrestling with epistemology in a very, very direct way right now when we think about social media and we think about where we're getting the information that we're getting it from and whether it's, it's good information or not, whether it's valid information or not, whether it's logical or not, epistemology helps us to understand that. And so in the field of epistemology, there's the idea of basic knowledge. There is basic knowledge that everyone need, needs to know about certain things to be informed about things. And certainly there's basic knowledge that we need about people, about God, that is helpful for us to actually operate in a way that's going to be meaningful. All right, so basic knowledge important, but when we too put too much, too much uh, emphasis on trivia and facts, it inhibits our relationship with, again, God, ourselves, and with each other. And so there are minimums. We should have basic knowledge. By the way, the Bible is giving us basic knowledge. There is not, the Bible does not answer every question about how things operate in the universe, right? I mean, in fact, you can go to the Bible and read the Bible and get frustrated because there are some things that you'd really like answers to that are not overtly there. That can be very, very frustrating. But again, it emphasizes this fact that facts and knowledge are not enough. So we better not overemphasize those. Um, by the way, consider, thinking about testimony, uh, consider the story of that guy who was on one of the crosses with Jesus Right, So you have Jesus, and then you had these thieves, we're told, on each side. And one of them comes to believe in Jesus. Now, I mean, did he ever meet Jesus? We don't know. How much information did he have of Jesus? No idea. But it would seem like it wasn't that much. He certainly wasn't listed, as far as we know, as one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And so he had limited information about Jesus, and yet still followed Jesus. And so we, we don't have to have all the information about everything, so we, again, got to be careful about overemphasizing uh, facts. Um, let me read this. This is the Apostle Paul about just to support that it is good to have, we got to have some information, right? This is Romans chapter 10, verse 14. Paul says this, talking about, like, people. How, then, can they call on the one they have not believed in? Question mark. And how can they believe in, in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news, for Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. So Paul is affirming the idea that there is some basic knowledge that everyone has to come to a confession and faith of Jesus. And people need to hear that message, and that's important. So supporting the idea that there is basic knowledge, and we do need to know some information, but let's not overemphasize it, because there is a lot of mystery when it comes to existing in a relationship with God. Just like, quite frankly, there is some mystery when it comes to being in relationship with anyone, 
that you have a relationship with. And so there is a place to our mystery, and let us be humble about that. Okay, third, third danger. When we feel like we have to have all the answers to everything, we relate to people in very strange ways. When the focus is on information, we treat people like all they need is more and more and more information. This has a very particular uh, outcome when we think we talk about the subject of evangelism. Okay, so Christians have been given this idea that, hey, there is good news, and we should be able to share this with other people, all right? But when we confuse good news with facts and information, uh, we get in some dangerous territory, and it makes us interact with people in very strange ways, because what we want to do or feel compelled to do is give people in, uh, information. When I uh, go to a, a gathering, with my wife, I'm really leaning into the wife illustrations today, right? And I'm introducing to her to other people. I don't start with her birth date, you know, March 8. Uh, that would be odd unless someone was asking for that, right? I mean, that is a fa it's factual information. Um, but that or other things like you know what pie she likes or whatever. You you, uh, you know I, I might start with her name, and then we go from there and adapt to what is needed or what is asked or what people want to know. We don't just spurt out. Uh, uh, information, and yet when it comes to our Christian witness, we mess this up, right? Somebody asks about what you believe, and you're like, the seventh day is the Sabbath. <laughs> Whoa, that's weird. Okay, all right, so God is really into a very particular day of the week, and we should worship on it, or whatever information, important. I mean, my wife's birthday, I like it. I celebrate it every year. I'm looking forward to it, right? March 8, y'all should get ready. Mark it on your calendars. That's not what you start with, okay? So when we overemphasize information and we think we have to know it all, we treat people and do things to people that are very, very odd, very weird. And it affects our ability to relate with them. I mean, you've all seen the subway preacher or the preacher out on the street corner who is spouting information about things with no context, don't know, doesn't, doesn't know who you are from, from Adam and is spouting information because the mindset is what is needed is more info. And if you have that info, that's gonna be helpful. We treat people weird, weird, when we think that, that the, the key is knowing more stuff. Okay, by the way, in this world, really since the start of the postmodern age, which, you know, we're, we're beyond that now, but since the postmodern age, nobody who is thinking thinks anybody else knows everything. So if you go around acting like you know it all or have all of the answers, people are going to look at you and not think, what a brilliant person. They're going to think, how naive to think that you know everything, right? So when you've got all the answers to everything, uh, Naive. I, I heard a, 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 a famous preacher, and uh, he was on the stage, and he was being asked, I'm not going to say the name, but he was going to be, he was asked at the end of his presentation, they, they had like a question and answer thing, and people were asking questions. So immediately put on the spot that now expert has to answer all these questions. And the one question that was asked was, if I remember correctly, something like, is there... Uh, marriage in, in heaven, or how does that all work, right? And Jesus alludes to this a little bit, but it's quite frankly not clear. The preacher 
I'm sure feeling the pressure of now being the expert, felt like they needed to expand on this topic and went for like five minutes explaining things that is not written in the Bible. It's not written anywhere as far as I know, but felt compelled to answer instead of just saying, I don't know, <laughs> we have no idea. It's okay to not know things because there is a lot of mystery. There are a lot of things that are not explained. And so it's a bad belief to think that we have to have all the answers to everything. There is a lot of things that need to be responded to with a simple we have no idea or I have no idea. That's okay. Humility, mystery. We not, need to stop treating people like all they need is a lot more information. Surely there are those who need some basic knowledge. But others are longing for something more and if we are just giving info, it's not gonna be helpful. In fact, it's probably gonna inhibit our, our ability to have a healthy relationship with them because they're gonna be like, I don't need more info. And this person thinks they know it all and therefore they can write us off altogether. So what do we do? How do we get beyond this being compelled that we gotta have all the answers to everything? Well, I think, as always, it comes back to Jesus himself. I mean, look at Jesus. Jesus, by the way, did not answer all the questions that were asked of him. In fact, he was famous for not answering the questions. Uh, some people got very frustrated with Jesus because they wanted him to say something very specific, and then he would just not. Somebody would ask him a question, he just didn't answer the question. Um, his disciples came to him, and they were like, what are you doing? This is Matthew 13, 10. The disciples came to Jesus and asked, why, why do you speak to the people in parables? Why don't you just be clear with them? And you know what, Jesus kept doing it, kept doing it. He left some mystery, he didn't explain everything. Jesus knew facts, okay? It wasn't that he didn't know, but he knew that facts weren't enough. In fact, a relationship built on only facts isn't a relationship at all. You need more than that. And so Jesus was humble. He didn't try to over-explain himself. Sometimes he didn't answer questions at all. He spoke in, in parables. He left room for mystery. He left room for mystery. And then he acted in mystery. In John chapter 12, verse 23, we read this. Jesus clearly indicating the importance of mystery. And when I am lifted up, He's talking about his crucifixion that is to come. And when I am lifted up from the earth, it will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death that he was going to die. Jesus is like, listen, this thing is mysterious. I'm going to die sacrificially. And that is going to compel people into a relationship with God that they may have not ever had before, but it's not gonna be a relationship just built on facts and data and information. Yes, there is the fact that Jesus has died. There is the fact that he rested in the grave. There is the fact that he rose again, but there is also mystery. Like, how does that work? How does God become man? How do the minds mix Apollinarius? He thought he had it figured out. He was called a heretic. How does that work? How does the fact that Jesus died help us at all? There are answers, there are metaphors in the Bible to try to explain what really happened, but the truth is, it's a mystery. C.S. Lewis famously, in one of my favorite passages in the book, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, he talks about this issue, and he calls it deep magic. 
which you know we get a little weirded out by the magic, but I think C.S. Lewis is onto something because he's saying that this thing that happened is, 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 is mystical. It's beyond our understanding that when Jesus came and he died on the cross and then that was compelling to us in a way that's almost intangible, that something happened there that is mysterious that we can't quite wrap our minds around. The great God of the universe came and became a human. You're telling me you got that figured out? Oh, yeah, 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 I know how that happened. I know what, 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 what. No, it's a mystery. It's a mystery that he died. And because he died, you can ask him for forgiveness and become in relationship with, with, with him and be forgiven of your sins. How does that work? Where's the mathematical formulation for that? It doesn't exist. There's mystery. And that can make us uncomfortable. But this is the kind of relationship God is calling us into, one that invites us to be humble. See, we're not humble when we got it all figured out and we know exactly what's going on. And by the way, this is where we put God into a box when we try to explain things. Oh, yeah, well, his mind melded with our mind. Then we're talking about God in terms that we can understand. But God, he doesn't provide for that. He tells us things that are beyond our understanding, that you can't put a formulation to. And so he invites us to be humble, and he invites us to embrace mystery. Mystery is, is a part of any relationship, and it's a part of our relationship with God. And so God is inviting us today into a relationship that provides for mystery and asks us to be humble, to believe in this. To believe in God's work through Jesus. Time and time and time again, believe, believe, believe. First Peter, one of Jesus' closest companions, he said it like this, in your hearts, revere Christ. This is our text of emphasis today. And always be prepared to give an answer. Now we stop it there and say, oh, see, we have to give an answer to everything. And that's part of this idea that we have to be able to have knowledge about everything and we have to have an opinion on everything and we have to say that we know everything. That's not what Peter's saying. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. He's not asking to have an answer to every question that someone is. It's why do you have hope? What is your answer to that? Now that needs a response. Peter is like, you should have a response. If you're a follower of Jesus, you should be able to respond to why you have hope. The world is chaos. Things are falling apart. It doesn't seem like anything is going anywhere. Why do you have hope? That, Peter is like, you got to have an answer to that. And that comes back to something mysterious. I don't know how. I don't know the formulation. I, but somehow, when God became a human who lived for 33 and a half years, and then died, that means something to me. And as I confess faith in God's work through that experience, it gives me new life. And it changes my life. My perspective on life was different before I understood that. But now as I've embraced that, I have a different perspective on life. Always have an answer for the hope that you have. John chapter 6, they asked him, what must we do? What works must we do? What things must we know that God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one who he has sent. Belief. <laughs> There's a mystery there. 
John chapter 20, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that in Jesus he is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have faith in him and life in him. And then in Romans chapter 10, Paul writes this, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Period. Period. If you believe in your heart and speak with your mouth, you will be saved. Simple. Simple. And so today, if you're feeling like you don't have all the answers to everything, and you're feeling a little discouraged about that, or maybe you've been burdened by the fact that you should know more than you do know in your faith experience, and you want to study the Bible more and whatever, amen. Go study your Bible. Learn more. But the good news is that's not what saves you. God has called you into a relationship based on his work, not yours. And as you confess faith in that, you are in. You are in. So study, learn, educate yourself. But a relationship is much more and much less than that. Jesus is inviting us into mystery. And in that mystery, there's humility. May God give this to you in your life today. Amen.